This episode is brought to you by Hulu, presenting Legacy, the true story of the L.A. Lakers. From the backboard to the front office, Legacy captures the remarkable rise and unprecedented success of one of the most iconic franchises in professional sports. Featuring new revealing interviews from players, coaches, and execs, this 10-part documentary series chronicles this extraordinary story from the inside. Watch Legacy, the true story of the L.A. Lakers now, only on Hulu. What up, what up, what up, though? Ball Hawk Show. What up, what up, what up, though? Ball Hawk Show. Yeah. If you know, you know. If you know, you know. Break layers and ball shorts. If you know, you know. One stop like a Walmart. We got the tennis balls for the wrong sport. If you know, you know. If you know about the carport, the trap door supposed to be awkward. If you know, you know. That's the reason we ball for. Circle round twice for the encore. If you know, you know. What up, what up, what up, what up, what up, do? Welcome to the Ball Hawk Show podcast. I'm your host, Amar Hawkins. Appreciate you rocking with me as we recap. UVA's first game of the 2020 season versus the Duke Blue Devils. Before we get started, this episode is sponsored by Able Insurance. Go to ableinsurance.com for all your insurance needs. That's home, business, auto, or life insurance. The great people at Able Insurance. Billy and Charlene White, proud sponsors of the Ball Hawk Show podcast. And make sure you go to sthujuice.com to get your shut the hell up juice apparel. And if you haven't already, man, go to anchor.fm, search the Ball Hawk Show podcast, hit that support button. Support for just 99 cents for your chance to enter in the weekly drawing to receive free shut the hell up juice apparel. So at the end of each month on my podcast, I announce the winner or winners. It could be one, it could be two. You never know how many. And um, I mail out Shut the Hell Up Juice gear to those winners for just supporting just 99 cents a month. So, yo, let's go ahead and get this thing. First of all, we got to set the mood. We got to set the mood. Since this is Brendan Armstrong, first start at UVA, and Adele, and, and Davis got busy. I said Adele. Look at that. Lavelle, Davis got busy. Let me see when I'm going to play to, to start this off. It's yours. I'm going to take it back. Right now, the world is theirs, boy. The world is definitely theirs. Had to take y'all back right there. The nasty nines, illmatic, right there. But uh, yeah, man. So first game of the 2020 season. This was Duke's third game. Uh, it showed from the opening kickoff that it was our first game. We fumbled our uh, kickoff return. Um, you know, you got to give credit to, to Duke's defenders. They stood up to Vars Kelly. They didn't blow the whistle. They didn't blow it dead because there wasn't any forward progress going on. They took the opportunity, and he ripped the ball out of his hand. So, you know, even though we won the opening kickoff, they gained the opening possession. But before we get started, let's go ahead and dive into the numbers before we get into the analysis piece of the podcast. If this is your first time listening to the Ballhawk Show podcast, we usually go over numbers first. Uh, individual stats, and then I give you my analysis off his defense and my overall thoughts of the game. So let's jump right into it. The Cavaliers won by a score of 38 
to 20, the trend of the game. If you look at the score by quarters, it was Duke would score 10 points, we wouldn't score. Then the second quarter, we would usually score, and they wouldn't score, and it was like that all game. So they started off 10-0 in the first quarter. We had 17 points in the second quarter. They had 10 points in the third quarter, and we finished with 21 in the fourth. So they had donuts in the second and the fourth quarter. We had donuts in the first and the third. So when we look at the team stats, Duke had 17 first downs. UVA had 25. Um, when you look at the breakdown of the first downs, 10 of UVA's 25 first downs came by the ground, 14 in the air, one by penalty. Uh, we look at net rushing yards. UVA had 188 yards rushing. If I'm not mistaken, they had like 126 at the half. And Duke had 56. We attempted 37 rushes. They attempted 38. Look at net passing yards. Duke had 286. We had 267. Uh, Brendan Armstrong attempted 47 passes with 25 completions, two interceptions. That's the team stat. And then Duke, 18 of 40 for, and five interceptions. I think he attempted 25 passes in the first half, which I thought was high. So, of course, I'm going to think 47. Your first time was a full-time starter. But then again, it's coaching nine, and, and that's what he do. He likes to throw the football around, even though you're averaging 5.1 yards a rush. That's what we did for the game. When is the last time UVA has averaged 5.1 yards a rush and the quarterback wasn't the leading rusher or, you, you know, you, you, you get the theme here. So, but we're going to talk about that later. Uh, total offensive yards, UVA had 450. Um, Duke had 342. We ran 84 plays. They ran 78 plays. We averaged 5.4 yards a play. They averaged 4.4 yards a play. Any other stats we want to look at? Um, sacks, we had five. They had one. Um, so that that jumped out to me. We only gave up one sack. And they were, you know, even though they wasn't scoring a lot on offense, they had, I want to say, at least 10 sacks coming in. They, they had a lot of sacks coming in. So we only gave up one sack, and we knew that offensive line would definitely be a strong point in, in the show, especially with our ability to run the football. Um, we look at individual stats. Wayne Tyler Papa, 16 carries, 95 yards, no yards lost, two touchdowns, a long of 19. He averaged 5.9 yards a rush. And he did the majority of his rushing in the second and third quarter. So there's nobody that could say, oh, he got his yards in garbage time, which me as a competitor, I don't know what garbage time is. I'm going to compete to the end of the game. So, um, yeah. I'm not a garbage time person. Brendan Armstrong, 10 rushes, 56 yards, but he had a net of 47 because he lost the nine yards on the sack. One touchdown, he averaged 4.7 yards a carry. Shane Simpson, he averaged 4.5 yards a carry. He had eight rushes for 38 yards, a net of 36 because he lost two on one rush, a long of 12. Brendan Armstrong had a long of 14, by the way. Then Perry Jones got two carries late. He had two carries, 11 yards. He averaged 5.5 yards a carry. Uh, so as a team, like I said, average 5.1 yards a rush on 37 attempts. So 37 attempts, 45 passing attempts, you know. I, w- I would like to see us versus Duke, and I, and I get it. I understand. I get it. They were, you know, they lost two starting corners. So you figure, hey, let's take advantage of, um, you know, 
the passing game, but I just felt like we could run the ball, especially since their ends wanted to get up the field so much. But I'll get more into that later on. Uh, on Duke's side, Deion Jackson led them with 49 yards rushing, averaged 3.5 yards a rush. Uh, Durant had 32 yards rushing. He averaged four yards a carry. Passing Chase Bryce, uh, the transfer from Clemson, has 16 completions to th- on 36 attempts, four interceptions, 246 yards, two touchdowns. He was sacked four times. Uh, Calhoun, the receiver, threw the other interception, which was one of the dumbest plays. I'll take it, though. I'll take that play. Thank you very much. It was a here. Here, you take it. Um, but I'm glad they ran that dumb play because they gave the momentum right back. Um, I don't know why you ran that play. And Cutcliffe is calling the players. So that was on Cutcliffe. Well, yeah, that was on Cutcliffe. You can't put that kid in that situation. Well, then that kid should know better than to throw the damn ball to. But like I said, thank you. We appreciate you, that bonehead play. Uh, Brendan Armstrong, like we said, 24 of 45, two interceptions, 269 yards, two touchdowns, only sacked one time. Um, I get more into my feelings on his performance when we get to the analytical part of the podcast. Looking at receivers, Billy Kemp led the way in receptions with seven receptions. Uh, Lavelle Davis Jr. led the way in yards with 101 yards. He had four catches, two touchdowns in his Cavalier debut, which is absolutely outstanding. Uh, Kemp had seven catches for 70 yards. Poljan had four catches, 44 yards. Uh, Jana, four catches, 29 yards. Shane Simpson, two catches, 11 yards. Wayne Talapapa, two catches, nine yards. Armstead had a quick screen, one catch, five yards. And then Tavares, they get him a little flip, and he lost seven yards. So on the season, he got one catch for negative seven yards. Uh, for Duke, their leading receiver was a tight end, Marweed, Marweed who had the touchdown. Um, the 55-yard touchdown, he ended up with 59 yards on two catches. Um, Noah Gray, the other tight end. Had three catches, 23 yards, and a touchdown. Looking at it defensively, Wayne Talapapa did have 104 total yards, but I wanted to really see him get 100 yards rushing. And I'll talk about that later. Defensively, when you look at UVA, Zane Zandere was everywhere. He had two solo tackles, but he had 13 assists. That means he was every damn where, everywhere. Zero had zero you-know-whats about hitting Anybody, 15 tackles, two tackle for losses. So those is two solo tackles, the tackles for losses. <laughs> Everything else, he was assisting. Like in, other words, in other words, he was cleaning the plate. Nick Jackson, Action Jackson, 12 total tackles, five solo, seven assisted, one tackle for a loss. Zane also had a pass breakup. Joey Blunt, who, from my understanding, is okay. I know he banged his knee on the turf and had to be helped off the field. Uh, from my understanding, he's fine. Joey heals like a Wolverine. Um, and Joey gets banged up a lot because he just, he's, dude, that dude is everywhere, man. And sometimes your body just takes those thumps. But like I said, he got that Wolverine blood and he heals fast. Um, he has seven total tackles, one tackle for a loss, one forced fumble, one interception. One pass breakup. It reminded me of his opening game versus Pitt last year where he did everything. Only thing he didn't have this year in this opening game was a sack because last year he had a bunch of tackles. He had a tackle for loss. He had a sack, and he had an interception. Uh, D'Angelo Amos, welcome to UVA as well, sir, from JMU. Had seven tackles, had a nice interception on a scene route. He uh, slingshotted his way to undercut 
and made a dive and interception. That was top flight. I like I like three o back there. Three o was nice, nice. Got good eyes, great feel for the for the ball. Understands formations, but we'll get into that in the analytical part. Noah Taylor seven tackles, a sack and a half, two tackles for a loss. Matt Gam six tackles, a sack, tackle for a loss. Charles Snowden has six tackles, a half a tackle for a loss. Richard Burney a sack, tackle for a loss, three tackles. Devonte Cross. Three tackles, pass breakup. Uh, Brent Nelson, Mr. I just found the football. He had two interceptions, a tackle for a loss, two tackles. Uh, Juwan Briggs had a sack. Okay. I call him Luther. I told my wife, I'm going to call him Luther, big Luther, like Luther Vandrew because he can sing. But I got to come up with a better nickname. I don't think I'm going to call that man no Luther Vandross. <laughs> I don't think I'm going to do that to Juwan, but shout out to Juwan, man. Um and let me see, Nick Grant had a pick, my dog Nick Grant. Uh, Jameer Carter had a sack, a half a sack. Salute to the juggernaut. Welcome. Welcome to the family. Uh, Mandy Alonzo only had two tackles, but he did a lot that's not showing up on the stat sheet. When I get into my breakdown of the defense, you're going you're gonna to see why I said that. Mandy only had two tackles, but when you look at that damn film, 91 jumps out at you, and I was impressed. But uh, Duke's top pass rusher, I think, had a sack and a half. The, uh, Victor, Victor D, he only had a half a sack. I think he had like three and a half sacks last game alone. So um, so that, that's what I got as far as like the numbers. Uh, but what y'all want to break down first? You want to start with the offense or the defense? Like should we start with the group we were most confident in and then should we save the offense and Brennan Armstrong for last or do you want to hear what I got to say about Brennan Armstrong? I know, I know. You want to hear what I got to say about Brennan Armstrong. This is what I got to say about OBA. First start. That's all I'm going to say. It's his first start. You know, everybody has, tries to uh, predict the future, right? Like, how's a quarterback going to look? Like, somebody asked me, um, you know, ball. How do you feel like he's going to perform? Give me some numbers. And I felt like he would have three touchdowns. I didn't think he would turn the ball over. Ended up turning the ball over. He turned the ball over twice. You know what I'm saying? I, I felt like he would have like 250 yards, three total touchdowns, and like 50 yards rushing. So that was like 300 total yards, three touchdowns, no turnovers. Because that's um, I'm don't want him to turn the ball over, right? He had two interceptions. Um, first interception. He's trying to throw the ball down the field to Billy Kim. Like he, I guess he forgot that wasn't Lavelle, and he threw it to Billy versus their tallest D. Like their tallest DB versus our shortest receiver. Yeah. So that was very ill-advised. The second one, you could say Terrell might have got yanked in the hip, but again, that was still a bad throw because even if Terrell's coming out that break without getting grabbed a little bit, it's still a bad throw. Um so he made two ill-advised throws. He paid for it, and you learn from it, right? You keep fighting. So through three quarters, through three quarters, when I saw him getting a lot of vitriol, which happens with a quarterback. When a quarterback is struggling, everybody wants the backup to get burned. It was even like that with Bryce Perkins. When Bryce Perkins struggled, everybody wanted to see Brendan get more burned. You know what I'm saying? I remember Ben Kurt. When he struggled versus Indiana, his second game, everybody wanted Lindell Stone to start. That's just the nature of the beast. Like you got to take it with a grain of salt. You got to let people vent because their predecessor puts that much pressure on them, right? 
through three quarters, Brennan Armstrong was 16 of 36, 125 yards, two interceptions. That's trash can Drew's depth right there. Like, that's what somebody that say, ball hog, he's some trash can juice. You can't defend 16 for 36, 125, two interceptions. You can't. You could be a realist, just say, hey, man, it's the first game. It's going to be some ebbs and flows. But when somebody like me is behind the mic and they're like, yo, Brendan, legit, and when you got people co-signing that he's legit, this doesn't help our stance. You know what I'm saying? So through three quarters, 16 of 36. First of all, 36 passes to three quarters in your first start. Come on, son. Especially when the running game working. The running game was working. And I know, man, I got to get out of my own way. My, and I tell folks all the time, like, it's, it's a new game. The game has evolved. And now I like to throw the football short passing game as an extension of the running game. So you got to woosah if you know the running game is working and the guys up front are frying off and they're really dogging their ass. But I understand the temperament of my OC. He likes to throw the ball. I get it. Sometimes I just, like, get two one the ball. Like when J-Train, when Jordan Ellis was back there, like, get one the ball. Let one run the ball over 20 times so we undefeated. And I wanted Wayne to get 100 yards rushing. You know how bad I want him to get 100 yards rushing, man. That dude went back home during the pandemic, started running the beaches. You see his strong legs and him getting his knees up because he shedded some tackles and he made some sudden moves this year that he didn't have last year. He had it in his mind, but his body wasn't allowing him to do it. You saw that Wayne was in his bag this year. He put the safety on skates on the inside zone around the 10-yard line on his longest run. Gave him a nice little dun-dun-dun move. Uh, but then we go to the fourth quarter. This is what the Brendan Armstrong I know and been watching came to life. And you saw it in the fourth quarter. We always say it's not how you start, it's how you finish, right? When you look at quarterbacks, they always say quarterbacks like fourth quarters, you know, how do they do versus the blitz? How do they do on third downs? It's like certain categories, you got to check it off, right? And so first three quarters, trash can juice, depth. That's what people, you know, people don't use my word against me. Oh, ball hawk, he's some trash. I was catching it during the first three quarters of Brendan. I was catching it. I had to take it. Emails, text messages, tweets, DMs. Oh, your boy ain't good. I thought you said he was good, ball hog. We need to put the dude in for Mississippi State. I'm trying to tell you, dog, he ain't it. Fourth quarter come around. Brendan get hot. He settled down. We started putting him in more favorable matchups. And he started making better decisions. The way he was throwing the football was a whole lot better. Just his mechanics. His ability to really step in and be confident in his throws. Long story short, in the fourth quarter, alone, alone, he was 8 of 9, 144 yards and two touchdowns in the fourth quarter. It's not how you start, it's how you finish. We done seen plenty of times where quarterbacks start out red hot and then they go downhill and people be like, oh, the defense shut them down or they choke. Or you get them, them quarterbacks who... When the lights is bright and you get in that money quarter and they elevate their game. Now, granted, Lavelle Davis made a hell of a catch for that second touchdown. A hell of a catch. Oh, my God. He mossed him. Looked like Hasis Dubois versus Notre Dame. But he still put it to where his 6'7", Lavelle air up there, Davis Jr. could get it. Because there's a lot of air up there. 
at 6 a.m., that's not air they used to seeing on the edge. That's something you see between the seams with tight ends. You ain't used to seeing a six foot seven receiver just go up there and pluck it. Like, let me get that. Ho, ho, let me get that, homeboy. I know you picked it off when the short, you know, Billy Camp was running, but let me show you what 6 a.m. do. Let me get that. He put it right when Lavelle could get it. Now, early in the game, I was like, yo, youngster got to learn how to be more violent with his hands. You know what I'm saying? Because just because you're running down the field don't mean these DBs not going to put their paws on you and trap their help and widen you out. And that's what was happening. You know what I'm saying? Like, he got to understand his initial release is good, but it's a secondary release. Like, you got to stack them. You got to the, pin the corner to the number so you can fade away to the, to the sideline and give your quarterback that fade lane. You can't get wide out, and he'll learn that. He got a he got a all time coach and coach Marcus Hayes. So that's one thing Coach Hayes is going to point out to him. Don't allow yourself to get widened out before the ball comes. We have a line we put at the top of, at the top of the numbers by the sideline that lets you know, hey, be here when the ball is thrown, so you can fade away. But one thing the Arab there can do, he can finish. He will pluck it, and at one time. It was a miscommunication or something because we had two receivers and three Duke DBs. But people forgot one of our receivers was 6'7", and it was a dime to him. Because everybody was like, oh, who's he throwing to? That's too high. That's too far. Nah, 81 there. And then the second touchdown, he just he just pushed everybody out the way. Like, y'all don't really want to tackle. He, he is 6'7". I'm going to keep saying that. A corner is not used to repeatedly tackling somebody that tall. 6'7 is a lot of legs. And he not a like a 225, 236. He's like a 205, 6'7. So you just slide off of him. You feel me? So Brendan ended the game very strong, 8 or 9. And, that, and that's the way you can springboard to the next game because you're going to need it versus Clemson. You're going to need it. You're definitely going to need it. I'm going to just say that you're going to need it because it's, it's some different hyenas they got on defense. In the secondary, on the offensive, I mean, defensive line, everything. But overall, offensively, yeah, man. I just, I felt like Coach and I could have really made it easier for Brennan and easier for himself to just run the ball. I really felt like we could have had like 250, 260 yards rushing on them easy. But hindsight is 2020, right? It's easy for me to talk behind this mic because I don't get punished if I'm wrong. Not like I could get fired and lose a six figure job for calling the wrong plays that ain't I could just criticize but I don't criticize I just give critiques you know what I'm saying because I'm not talking like I can't do coaching our job one thing don't ever get it twisted I can't do his job no way don't want to do his job but if you say ball hawk we'll give you 200,000 go do that nope because I don't want to do it for two years and get used to making that type of money then get fired no I, you, I'm good where I'm at right here podcasting Talking behind the mic while I'm undefeated and win all championships every year. <laughs> That's what I'm gonna do. People say, "Why you a coach, ball hawk?" Because I don't want to lose. I don't want to be wrong and get blamed and you know be the detriment of somebody. I can't be the detriment behind this mic. I can just talk to y'all and tell y'all what they should have did and sound like a genius. <laughs> a lot of podcasters, a lot of these analysts, are not gonna tell y'all the truth. I'm gonna tell you the truth. Uh, hey. They do it because they want to say, I told you so, after the fact, after they see the outcome. Well, you should have did this. Oh, you should have did that. Oh, yeah, that was a good call because it was successful. Oh, that was a bad call because it was bad. Now, I ain't going to go that far. Just like, you know, 
we're going to flip to the defense right now, right? Defensively, Mandy Alonzo is a goddamn beast. A goddamn beast. 9-1, great get-off, great body lean, strong core because he doesn't get deterred off his path with guys trying to wash him away. Like I say, he only had two tackles, but he was disruptive as hell. Like, you had to avoid, like, he was the immediate guy the back saw or the quarterback saw. 9-1 was up the field. First of all, all our down linemen did a hell of a job with their get-off and their ability to play with their hands. They were being very disruptive, causing piles, defeating cut blocks, scraping down the line, hustling to the ball, just relentless. Sometimes they use a three-man rush. It was getting home. They tried quarterback draws. We would run a game. We would stunt. Bernie would come off a block late, grab the quarterback when he had a lot of green pastures. Like the defensive front, balled. Linebackers, y'all some thudding mamma jammers. I seen Nick Jackson fight off a block, running back coming downhill, four yards, full steam. He just squat down like he about to do a deadlift and straight scoop homeboy. I ain't never seen a strong dude with no cut of biceps or nothing. Like when he flexed, I didn't see no bicep, tricep, or nothing. I just seen strong. That's it. He's just strong. Like he one of them dudes that you look at him, he ain't gonna have like he ain't gonna be cut up. Like my boy say cut up like dope. Like every every part of your muscle is easily to see, is the it's defined. You know, those type guys that you like, oh man, you can see every muscle. Now he's just a strong dude. Strong. S-K-R-O-N-G, not S-T-S-K. He's strong. And then Zane is a, Zane. Hey, yo, hey, yo, ZZ, stop. Stop, man. Just stop. Just stop, bro. Not really. I'm not really telling you to stop. But damn, dog, you hit everything and anything hard, like real hard, like a, 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 a throwback linebacker that's everywhere. Just, just sniff out anything, and when you go... You go. See ball, hit ball, destroy ball. That's how you ball. Noah Taylor, I don't know if y'all were paying attention. Nah, y'all probably weren't paying attention. Noah Taylor was lining up everywhere. DN, outside backer, free safety, strong safety, rover. He was everywhere, just like Tech. He our version of Simmons that played at Clemson and now played for the Cardinals. He's, he's our version of Simmons. He's everywhere. He played safety on the hash. He played strong safety in the box. He was at Rover. He was bumped outside on the slot. He was rushing the passer from in. He was filling. He was spilling. He was dealing. That's Noah Taylor. Everywhere. He got a knee brace on, too. Had me thinking, like, yo, man, what's up? What's up with that knee brace? You know, I get a little worried when I see guys with braces and stuff on, you know, but he was out there performing. Uh, Snowden, he didn't have, have any snap, uh, sacks or anything, but they know when Snow at. They already snow with snow at. Linebackers, man, Gam came in um, and got busy. Like all our backers that, that came in, because uh, I know when Nick went down, um, his backup came in. And, I mean, they 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 well prepared. Just well prepared, bro. So, uh, uh, Ahern. Yeah, Ahern came in. He, he was prepared, too. So, like what I saw from the, from the front seven. Safeties, I think our safeties are top flight. I do. Love to see Brent Nelson back. He's a he's a bona fide ball hawk, no point intended. That kid can play. I told you, 
Um, as much as I love Bryce Hall, I felt like Brendan Nelson was the biggest loss as far as schematically what the defense could and couldn't do because this defense causes for a strong nickel cover, a, a guy that could cover the slot man-to-man because we like to run a lot of games and play a lot of combo zones, and sometimes we leave that nickel guy on the island in a sense. And he does so much. He's so smart. He has very good feet. He has a nice feel. Um, he understands how to attack the hip of a receiver and pin it. Um, the interference that was called on him should have been offensive because the receiver actually pushed off of him, and he didn't even grab the guy. He like Brendan looked like bro. He pushed me. Like Brendan is actually both his hands are pumping, and the receiver pushes him back, and the receiver gets the call. Like what the hell is going on? But he had two picks. Joey Blunt was everywhere. Everywhere, everywhere, everywhere. Joy Blunt was everywhere. I'm trying to tell you. Everywhere. Thumping cats too. Finish him. One receiver, they 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 hit the call. They ran a little bang eight from the slot receiver. He caught it. I was like, oh no. He what? Bop bop. Ball came up out of there. Joy put his face in the fan right there on the ball. Nice pick. He was reading, you know, playing a little spy. Little cover one hole. Um, he's on the right side. He sees that it's going to be a, a nice quick mess route coming from the left slot. Instead of just jumping out there right now, he just creeps down to the where the umpire's at and slides right on over. Nice easy pick. He works smarter, now harder. And then he banged his knee and scared everybody half to death. But I told you he got that Wolverine blood in him. By the end of his post game interview, he was all smiling, looking for his his pink lotion hair products. So he was good. Then you got Amos, man. Amos is another dude that it reminds me of Brent Nelson. He could play the slot. Uh, he could play the deep safety. He has very good ball skills. He demonstrated that on his interception. Um, I like him. A great addition. You know, it just allows for us to do so much on the back end, um, be creative on the front end as far as the way we attack quarterbacks and stunt and being able to, to use a spy if you have mobile quarterbacks and things of that nature. Uh, provides us with better matchups with, with guys who play in the slot. Um, I know the one spot that everybody's concerned about is the cornerback position. And I felt like this first game, I felt like it showed that it was the first game with our corners because of their technique. I just felt like they were really, really antsy. Like they would get out a little too early before the snap when they were off. I felt like their eyes was deceiving them. Uh, sometimes their feet would go dead and they would stare at Medusa. What I call stare at Medusa is when you think you're backpedaling and you're anticipating receiving to make a move, but your feet are dead, like it's not moving. They're in stone. But your eyes have you feeling like you're moving. And then when the receiver gives you a move, you got to restart your engine and now you're behind. Um, I just felt like, you know, w- with this review of the game with Coach Nick Howell, I feel like our corners will play a whole lot better versus Clemson. Um, I just felt like technique-wise, they they regressed because it was the game and it just was – I just felt like they were just so – like they needed to just relax. Like they would flip their hips a little too early, in my opinion, versus remaining square. Like, you know, the the best thing as a DB you can do if you're playing off coverage is what we call stay in your – use your pedal to kill the receiver. Meaning if you can stay square in your pedal, you can defeat any rap. You got a nice cushion, like two and a half yard, and you 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 you're in your pedal, you're square. 
you know, whether you're outside shade, inside shade, but if you maintain your leverage and you stand in your pedal, you can break on every route. When a receiver can get you to flip your hips open, most of the time they're going to defeat you because as soon as you flip, they're going to get into their route. So if I'm running straight down the field and you're in your pedal and I know I got a comeback or if I know I got a post, right, if I could give you a little hint, meaning like a, like a sudden head movement or a certain step in my stem to get you to anticipate something, you flip open. Because usually when you flip, your shoulders raise up, and that means you lose momentum and that you aren't able to stop right then. If you can stop, it's almost like it's like you're scared, a scared stop. It's like, like you're hopping a little bit to stop. So majority of the time, we were... Flip so early that as soon as we flip, they would stop. They would get into their hammer outs or their comebacks. And that allowed the separation they needed as far as the timing with the quarterback. And I felt like if we stayed square and they stopped, we would come downhill. It's nothing like coming downhill. Majority of the time when DBs get their pick, they're breaking from a square technique. Unless they're good off the T-blade, which a lot of guys like, I know I shouldn't use his name because he played for Tech, but a guy like D'Angelo Hall for the Falcons always uses T-Blade, meaning he always liked to flip and stay open because he had elite speed because he knew how to break off the blade of his foot, meaning it's sideways. You know what I'm saying? We call it a T-Blade. So, um, yeah, I just felt like even when we were in press coverage, we were inviting them to race, what we call opening the gates. Like, instead of shuffling, and making a receiver take a wide release, uh, you would get a quick shuffle back, and then you would just open up. And when you open up, call open the gates, you allow the receiver to go straight up the field versus bowing out some. Um, but like I said, that's how you know it was the first game because a lot of times that's the one position that can really display, you know, mentally where you're at. It's hard to to hide at corner. Like you can hide certain positions, but corner and receiver and quarter and quarterback, quarterback, receiver, and corner are the three positions. I feel like if somebody is antsy, not I ain't gonna say scared, but just really, really up and want to perform well and not letting the game come to them, it's gonna be on display. I just felt like our corners didn't let the game come to them. Because they were ready to perform that much. They were prepared. I just felt like they didn't just allow the game to slow down. But they got a lot of ability. So I don't, you know what I'm saying? It ain't like, um, y'all know me, man. I ain't out here going to crucify the young bloods for, for, for not living up to the standards I set for them. Because I know they can do it. They've shown me. Uh, but I just want them to make sure they see the film and correct their techniques. Because... You got a top flight team, they got to play next in Clemson. And I know a lot of folks are looking at them because the offense, look, front seven played great, safeties played great, so the corners are going to be in the spotlight. You know what I'm saying? Like, offensive line played great, running backs played great, receivers played good. We had more drops this game than we had the last two seasons combined, I believe. So Brendan's going to get a lot of the what the hell is going on. So that's just the nature of the beast. And if you want to be great, you embrace this and you apply it, you use this few, you become better. Uh, but on a touchdown to the tight end, I think Duke hit the call. We was in a combo zone, looked like we was in short zone to the side of the field where the tight end was at, and we was in some type of either cover four or cover three. Might have had to be cover four because the safety stayed on the hash. And, and uh, Nick took uh, go route from number two, so he wasn't in man. He was in some type of zone. On the front side, like, Devontae was playing short zone, 
and the number one receiver took an outside release. And I don't know how it's taught in the short zone. I was always taught if I played short zone, you mirror the release of number two. So if the number two is pushing up the field, you sink back so you could get a safety some help. The safety was, you know, in a tough position. Devontae stayed short. I don't know if the backer was supposed to drop more. That's another thing. I don't know. And it wasn't, I thought it was uh, ZZ, but ZZ blitzed. Um, I don't know if it was Gam or, or what. I think it, it might have been Gam's. If it wants you, Gam, don't don't hold against me. It was a backer who was supposed to be in the middle of the field, and I don't think they got down the field deep enough and fast enough. Um, so with that coverage, we got short zone to that side. Uh, they ran two verticals, which if you see any short zone, you want to run two verticals because you want to stress the safety. You want to see where the backer's mind is at and if he can cover that middle as well. So like I said, they hit the call, touchdown. Then in the game, later in the game, they ran the same play. Um, and again, I don't know if the backer should have dropped or if the safety should have held his water um, because they immediately went to the outside receiver. And it seemed like it was bracketing number one and number two was bucking naked um, in the middle of the field and they got a big gain in number five. But those are the only two breakdowns I saw and the two calls that I, I saw Duke hit that I was like, oh, hell, we got to – well, what are we doing? Other than that, it was just personal technique and things like that. And then again, I'm not in the film room, and that could have been a blown coverage on a linebacker or a DB. I just don't know, so I can't tell you guys who blew the assignment. All I could go off how I played short zone, and if I got a threat for number two going straight up the field, and I, I knew the sink with number one um, and to flip my hips – and put my butt to the sideline so I could see one and two so the safety won't have to widen out to number one. He can stay on the hash and break to the ball. So that's what I got, man. Overall, you can tell it was the first game of the season. Wasn't a hell of a lot of penalties for us, uh, but it was a lot of brain farts, you know, offensively, defensively. You know, we had some drop ball. That's brain farts. Some bad throws, brain farts. Um, I don't know if we had a lot of missed blocks up front. I feel like the running backs had – seems they they show vision simpson has very good he has very good good vision very good vision but yeah man first game of the year i'll take it i'll take it so that's all i got for y'all if i miss anything let me know on twitter facebook email me the ballhawk9 at gmail.com my personal feelings about lavelle davis hell of a coming out party welcome to everybody that was their first game as a wahoo they showed improved. They did well. But the air up there, 100 yards, two touchdowns. Dog, I ain't never had 100 yards and two touchdowns here when I played receiver here. So salute to you. Trust me. Hell, in your first game? What? 6-7. Lavelle, the air up there, Davis Jr. Kid is a baller. He just finished. Like I said, Work on your releases, uh, your secondary release, and not getting wide now easily, which will come. Because as a first year, I was getting wide now, too. I couldn't run but a go route and a post route when I came here. So at the end of the day, you still 6'7". You don't got to be that great technically when you 6'7". <laughs> I'm just telling you. Like, just throw it up to him, and he will finish. The Ball Hawk Show, that's all I got for y'all. We out. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E. 
AV on YouTube.